Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our Associate Pastor, Alice Meads. Hello, today we are carrying on looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. And we've called the series that we're in, Don't Lose Heart. And that is a phrase that Paul himself, who wrote this letter, that Paul himself uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we've called the series this, not meaning to sound kind of twee or cliche. You know, it's not meant to be a bit of a kind of a keep, you know, keep going, stiff upper lip kind of moment or a kind of a cheer up love. (laughs) That's not what we're trying to do. You know, I've had random strangers say that to me in the street before. I think my natural face must be a frown, but even still rude. But anyway, this series is not a cheer up love. That's not what we're trying to do. This series is not a call to just be more optimistic or to summon something up from within. This series is a call to Christian hope. The concept of Christian hope, which ultimately is based on the person of Jesus. Have you ever felt hopeless? Maybe you have at times, even this past year in the season that we're in. I know I have. We need hope in abundance right now. You know, it's been a grim start to the year and it continues to be difficult for many of us in many different ways. And my hope and my prayer as we journey through this series in 2 Corinthians is that as a series, it encourages us and strengthens us as a community as we look at hope in Jesus and what it means for us. Now, Christian hope is rooted both in the past, you know, in in what um, God has done and in the future, what he will do. You know, there's a past and future element to Christian hope, but it's for our encouragement and strengthening now in the present. I think of it as kind of almost like bookends, you know, the past and the future. And we are in the time in between. And it's like we have to grab from each side and bring it into the present to give us strength and encouragement for the situation that we now find us in. And and that's what we see Paul doing as he writes to this Jesus community in Corinth, as he instructs them not to lose heart. And so this week, I'm going to primarily be looking kind of backwards, as it were, with Paul in the chapter three of two Corinthians, looking at our past hope in Jesus, of of what Jesus did and what it means for us now. And then James next week is going to concentrate on our future hope, the hope that awaits us. So I'm going to dive straight into chapter three, if I can. Now, um, I'm going to read through this kind of chapter in chunks um, and then keep stopping to explain it and then keep going. It's not I wouldn't say it's the easiest chapter in the Bible to understand. And as such, it might be really helpful for you to have your Bible with you out and ready so that you can stay kind of super close to the text as I go through it. So here we go. Chapter three, starting at verse one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but for our competence comes from God. 
He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, we'll just pause there. So just to remind you a bit of the context of 2 Corinthians that this letter is being written in. James kind of mapped this out last week. Things at this point are fraught between Paul and the church in Corinth. You know, having planted this church um, some years before, it's now in a bit of a mess and Paul has confronted them on this. There's been some back and forth. There's been some letters written. There's a reference to a painful visit that sounds like it was painful on both sides. And the church at this point is questioning Paul's leadership and qualifications. And that wasn't held by the fact that there were other leaders around the church at that time um, that Paul sarcastically kind of refers to as super apostles. He's being sarcastic there. It makes me, it kind of sounds a bit like they're wearing their pants outside of their trousers like superheroes, but that's not what he means. <laughs> they're called super apostles by Paul because the church held them in this high regard and uh, they, they, they kind of, these super apostles seemed, well, so successful compared to Paul. You know, they were better speakers. They were more impressive from a worldly point of view, maybe more charismatic, we don't know. But um, they, were, they were rich. You know, they charged for their work as apostles. Um, they charged people to hear their message. And on, on paper, these leaders were far more impressive. But there was just one problem. They were preaching stuff that wasn't true to the message of Jesus. And Paul is keen to point out that worldly success is not an indicator that you are preaching the gospel of Jesus. So Paul basically starts in chapter three by saying to them, do I need some kind of letter of recommendation to prove my authority and leadership? Is that what you're asking for? And uh, that's a re they're rhetorical questions that he's asking in verse one, but they're also deeply painful ones. You know, one can only imagine how Paul feels that a church he has planted, that he began, is now questioning him in this way. And so Paul's saying to them here, I don't need to prove my authority or the truth of what I preached to you. He goes on to say this, Paul says, the proof of the truth is you. You're the proof of the truth. The proof of the message of Jesus is the life that it brings. The life that you found in Jesus, that is the proof that what I've taught you is true. The proof of the gospel that I've preached that stands up to what others are saying. You know, that Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, the bringing in of the kingdom is true and real. The transformation that you've experienced by the Holy Spirit working in you. That is all the letter of commendation I need, is what Paul says. You are the letter, the proof of the truth is you. And you know, when we baptise people in this church, we get people, we get people to uh, share their story. For that very reason, because when you encounter Jesus, life changes. And those testimonies that people share are a way of saying, the message of Jesus is true. He changes everything. But of course, this isn't just for when we come to faith. This is true throughout our lives, that Jesus changes everything. What letter is Jesus writing on your heart? What is the work that he's doing in your life? What difference does Jesus make to your life? You know, for me, as I think about that, Jesus has changed my life profoundly. You know, as a teenager, as a young adult, I really struggled in a big way with anxiety. And, and I can almost see the path that I was on. And I don't even want to think about where I would have ended up if I hadn't encountered Jesus as a teenager and, um, and, and started to live my life following him. <clears throat> and it's not that everything's kind of instantly disappeared. It's not that I still don't struggle with things. It's been a, a slow process of living life 
day in, day out with Jesus through different seasons of my life. And, and continue to get my head around, to understand the person of Jesus, the love that he has for me. That changes things. That has changed everything for me. I still have seasons of anxiety in my life. But I can say that Jesus has done a deep, profound work in me. His Holy Spirit is in the process of doing a transformation work in me. That I could even lead in church in the way that I do is a testament to the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. Now that's a bit about me, but what about you? <laughs> where would you be without Jesus in your life? You are a letter from Christ, and Paul says, known and read by everyone. That's so true, isn't it? That, that, that we are the letter of hope that we share with people around us. You know, we get to share the Spirit, what the Spirit has done in our life, the transformation that He's done. That's what we share with people, that the hope that we found in Him. You know, that Peter, another New Testament writer, one of Jesus' disciples, says that people will come to you and they'll say, tell us, we can see this letter of hope in your life. We can see the hope that you have in Jesus and we don't understand it. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. We see that we are freaking out and you have hope. Why is that? We are a letter of hope to people around us. Here is a really scary question to ask. If you want a challenge this week, find someone you love, um, someone you're close to and ask them this. Do you see the difference that Jesus makes in my life? Am I still changing to look like him and to live more like him? Go for it this week. Ask someone, maybe someone that knows Jesus and someone that doesn't know Jesus. Go big. As Paul says in verse 3, that this letter is from Jesus. It's been written by him. This is all Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. For those that would follow him, our sins are no more. We are God's people. He is transforming our hearts. You know, in verse 5, Paul's really keen to say that this is not about his competence. He's not confident in his ability. He's confident in Jesus. It's all Jesus, Paul says. I can't take any of the credit for what he's done in you as a church. I loved it when we heard from Mike Pellavacci a few weeks ago, and he warned against a culture of celebrity in our churches, you know, so-called celebrity pastors, or to use Paul's language, super apostles, you know, lifted up and put on a pedestal. And we know that that can often go so badly wrong, and we see that all the time with devastating consequences for the kingdom. There is only one celebrity, and it is Jesus. It's all Jesus. When we share and celebrate stories of what God has done, we're celebrating Jesus. When we share stories of what has happened in our church, we're celebrating Jesus. It's all Jesus. And of course, the opposite is also true, that when we feel inadequate or unqualified, that's okay. It's all Jesus. You know, none of this is on our competence and our ability to achieve. And I feel like some of you might need to hear that this week. I hope that that gives you hope. So Paul says that this letter is being written on our hearts, not on stone, not on stone tablets in verse three. And that is a reference to the Old Testament. And you can read all about it in Exodus like 32 to 34, those chapters there. When God gives Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, the law. The law was the rules for how the people of God were to worship God and to live well. And this law was written by God on these tablets of stone. And at that point where um, God gives Moses the law, God is making a covenant with Moses, which is like a kind of a promise with Moses. 
between God and the nation of Israel, this covenant. And the law, if you like, was like the legal terms of the covenant, you know, like the small print that you get in a document when you sign it. That's what the law was. And it was like, if, if Israel keep this side of it, then God will bless them and keep them and be with them. Now, if you know the Old Testament, even a small bit, you will know that it does not go well. You know, the people of Israel are unable to keep the law. They break their side of the promise of the covenant again and again. God never breaks it, but the people of Israel break it again and again and again. And eventually God says to his people, you know, one day there will be a new covenant, a new promise. And in this time, the law won't be written on stone. It will be written on their hearts. That's in Jeremiah, the last part of chapter 31. If you want to go and study it a bit this week, maybe read it alongside this 2 Corinthians passage. And so Paul is saying that this promise that God made was fulfilled in Jesus. And, and he's setting up here a comparison between the old covenant and the, and the new covenant. Or you could say the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what the word testament means. So the Old Testament in our Bible and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Testament, the Old, uh, the old Covenant, which came through Moses, and the New Covenant, which came through Jesus and his death on the cross. One that was written on tablets, one that was written on our hearts, one that brings life fueled by the Spirit, and one that ultimately brings death. And this is the kind of, uh, the kind of Paul picks this comparison up and he continues it over the next few verses. He says this, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Whew. So Paul is saying here that the old way of relating to God brought death. And that's literally true. You know, the requirement of the law was that an animal had to be sacrificed every time um, as a penance for sins. But also, uh, on a kind of, in another way, the law also exposed the condition of the human heart. You know, there was nothing wrong with the law itself. God wrote it on those tablets. But the problem was with us, it revealed how sinful we actually are. But Paul says, it was still glorious. See how many times the word glory pops into those verses. It was still glorious because it was God reaching out to his people, intervening in human history. It was glorious because it involved this, this encounter with his presence. And, uh, and Paul talks about this encounter that Moses had, that as Moses kind of came down from the mountain, clutching those tablets of stone, his face was glowing from having been in the presence of God, from having glimpsed his glory. It was imagine like how bright it was. Think, you know, like, I can only think of this, which I know is silly, but you know when Ross and Friends gets his teeth brightened and they are like brighter than the sun. Imagine Moses' face even brighter than that, like so bright, like the sun on a sunny day, you couldn't even look at it. <laughs> so they had to put a veil over his face because it was too bright to look at. Paul is like, if that's the effect of being in the glory of God then, if that's how glorious that moment was, how much more glorious is the new covenant, is this new promise? Now, it's worth saying here that Paul is, talk is not talking about the law as an outsider kind of criticising it here. Paul was an insider to this. He is sharing his story. You know, the law, the Jewish faith, that was his life. 
before knowing Jesus. You know, if you know the story of Paul, like he made it his mission to kind of stamp out the momentum that started after Jesus' death, after when Jesus' followers were, were proclaiming that Jesus had been the Son of God. And Paul, and before he came to know Jesus, who was called Saul, he thought that was absolute blasphemy. It was an offensive to him. And he made it his mission to stamp it out, to imprison, to have executed anyone that was claiming that about Jesus. And then when he's walking to Damascus to find and imprison even more Christians, you can read it in Acts 9, he encounters the presence just like Moses did, in a glorious way. He encounters the presence of Jesus and he is transformed. And he sees now that this new covenant, this new way of relating to God, this new life in the spirit is glorious. This is the letter that Jesus has written on Paul's heart. This has changed him from the inside out. This is what gives him hope, what strengthens and sustains him when he himself is in anguish, like he is in this moment, writing to a church that has questioned him, rejected him and insulted him. This is where Paul finds his hope. And he carries on in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. <coughs> For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Verse 16, the veil has been removed. Like Paul, we get to see the Lord in all his glory and to be in his presence. You know, no longer is it just Moses who can be in the presence of God with everyone else at the bottom of the mountain. We all can. This veil has been removed <coughs> because, of that, because it says in verse 14, only in Christ is it taken away. Because of what Jesus did on the cross in dying for our sins and overcoming death, we all have access to God's presence, to his spirit. You know, if you remember that when Jesus died, the temple curtain, which separated off the presence from the people, was torn up. We all get to see him in his glory. All of us get to have his presence dwell in us. We get to be a people of his presence. And that is such good news. This is why we shouldn't lose heart. Why? Because in his presence, our hope is restored. His presence restores hope. And it does so in lots of ways, but I just want to highlight the following ways. His presence reminds us of who he is and what he has done. You know, that reassurance that comes from just being in his presence. I've been reading this week the, um, the Lent reading plan through Luke. If you've not joined in yet, it's not too late. Just hop on board, start today. And um, I was reading this week in chapter four where Jesus starts his ministry properly, you know, begin to really starts it. And he's in a town called Capernaum. And he kind of starts doing what Jesus did. You know, he starts extending the kingdom. And the people in the town were like amazed, like the king had turned up and had, was full of authority. You know, that word is repeated throughout Luke chapter four. And it was glorious, you know, people were healed. Um, spiritual darkness was being kind of thrown out, was, Jesus was removing it. Jesus was speaking words of life like they'd never heard before, and it was amazing. And then when it was time to go, they begged him not to leave. 
They really, really didn't want him to go. They wanted him to stay forever. Why? Because of how glorious it was. Because hope was being restored. People were being set free. There was something deeply reassuring and right about having his presence with them and they didn't want it to go. His presence restores hope. In the midst of suffering, knowing his presence, it's so important. If that's you at the moment, even in the questions that we have in the churn of it all, knowing that he comforts us, that he is with us, that he understands, that he is in control. You know, that's something I've been clinging to just this week. You know, I, was, I went on the BBC News, read a couple of stories that kind of just filled me with, I just felt so, so much despair. And also this week, just been so aware of so many people that are really struggling. I was just full of despair. And that's driven me this week to be in the presence of Jesus. And like, Jesus, remind me of your grace. Remind me of what you've done, your deep love for us, your message of hope. That gives me hope for now. So his presence reminds us of who he is and what he has done. His presence brings freedom. Verse 17, Paul says that life by the Spirit brings freedom, more and more freedom. That's the trademark of the Spirit. That's how you know where the Spirit's been moving, because there's freedom. Whether it's freedom from sickness, whether it's freedom from lies that have been spoken over us, whether it's freedom from fear, freedom from comparison, freedom from anger, freedom from, freedom from like a deadening religiosity like Paul has experienced. Freedom. And this might be kind of worked out. You might experience this freedom both in like a moment of encounter with the Holy Spirit in one moment, and it might be worked out over a lifetime of growing in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a both-and situation. There's so much hope in knowing this, that whatever you struggle with now, whatever imprisons you, that that is not the final word. You don't have to break free from sheer willpower alone. There are some things that are so deep in us that only the Holy Spirit can break it off. And we need access to a power outside of ourselves. You know, he can break off wounds from your past. He can change patterns of behavior. He can make all things new. You know, I remember once chatting to someone, uh, to a lady who was about to have a baby girl, and she was terrified at the thought of it because of the relationship she had had with her own mother, who'd had a difficult relationship with her mother. And she could just see this generation of mother to daughter stuff being passed down. And she was so worried in having her daughter herself that she was going to do, just pass that stuff on again. And I listened and I was like, yeah, I've read those books. I know that that happens. I can see that happens, that we pass our stuff on. But you know what? I also believe in the freedom that the Holy Spirit brings. And he can break some of those generational things off. He can start new patterns of behavior. Hope is not lost. And you know what? I do recognize that we might never be fully free this side of heaven. You know, in Vineyard, we talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And I know that there's pain in the not yet. I've experienced the pain of the not yet deeply in my life. But that's when we need to kind of draw on the other bookend, you know, the future hope of heaven, where we know one day we will be fully set free and it will be glorious. His presence brings freedom. And then lastly, his presence brings transformation. Verse 18. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms us to look more like Jesus. Now, I spoke on these very verses a few weeks ago when we were in our Live Like Jesus discipleship series. You know, as we talked about how it's the Holy Spirit that drives that process of transformation, of learning to live, uh, to live like Jesus. And Paul is showing you that it enables us to do what the law set out to do but could never achieve. You know, that's the difference between a law written on stone and the way of Jesus written on our hearts. You know, our life changes from the inside out as we contemplate his glory 
as we live in his presence. The Holy Spirit changes us to look more like the one that we are gazing at. And this is an invitation towards the way of life that we were designed for, the easy yoke that Jesus offers his disciples, a life not formed by fear or consumerism or greed, but a life formed by his spirit, by his presence. I love how the message version of the Bible translates verse 18 here. It talks about our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. This is glorious, Paul says. And later on in chapter 417, he says this, this is why therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Or if I can paraphrase, every day we have less life. That's true, isn't it? Every day we've got one less life, one less day to live. Every day we have less life, but every day we are invited into more life. Every day we have less life, but every day we are invited into more life. And it is in this that we place our hope. We can be bold in this, Paul has said in verse 12. We can build our lives on it. His presence restores our hope. It reassures us, it reminds us of who he is and what he's done. It frees us and it changes us. And this can be the letter of our lives, a letter of hope even in the midst of difficult times. Now, for some of us, we are, we're like, you know, for in that answer to that question, you know, what, what letter is Jesus writing in your life? You're like, he's not writing anything at the moment. I've lost a sense of the hope that is in Jesus. Maybe you're feeling like you just can't afford to hope in anything at the moment. And if that's you, if you're feeling hopeless today, can I invite you to seek out his presence? Seek out his presence. You know, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about spiritual practices and rhythms that you can put in place into your life. They, that's what they are about, creating space to be in his presence. And you know, in difficult times, it's so easy to retreat from him, to stop doing those practices or rhythms, to, to kind of back away, to draw away from God. You know, I know that's been the case at times of my life. You know, if you were to look through my journals, not that I'd let you, but if you were to look through my journals, you see that there's, there's whole kind of months at a time where I've not written anything because I've just pulled away, I've drawn away because I've been in a difficult place. And instead of engaging, pushing into the presence of God, I've pulled away. Maybe that's what it's been like for you this past year or so. You've just drawn away, drawn away. But actually, the invitation is into the presence of Jesus. That is where we find our hope restored. That is the only place where we find life. If you're feeling hopeless, I want you to hear today that this letter is still being written. Change is possible today. Hope can be restored today as you meet with him, as you, are, as you be with him in his presence. But you've got to seek this out. At the moment, it's so easy to pull back, to draw away. It's so easy at the moment, especially because we're not meeting as a community to be in his presence in the way that we normally would. You know, I was just um, aware, just even this week, I'd had a, like, a really, really bad, I don't know, a difficult day the other day. And I had a cracking headache. I felt full of despair. I just was, you know, and uh, it was my small group that evening. And to be honest, I did not want to leave my small group, even though I flipping love my small group. But I did not want to lead it. And I was within seconds of just cancelling it 
And then I was like, no, I'm going to choose to, you know, I'm going to choose to, to push in, to, 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 yeah, to draw in. And do you know what? We just created space at the beginning of our small group to have some worship. We just played some worship. And I just sat there and was in his presence. And being in his presence with other, other um, followers of Jesus, I just restored my hope. It turned my despair into hope, just being in his presence. And you know what, that evening I could have just watched the telly, I could have just, you know, stepped back and whatever. But I chose to be, to pursue his presence. And you know, I went to bed that night feeling restored and refreshed from having been there because he reminded me of what he has done and who he is. He reminded me of the freedom that is available in him. And he reminded me that he is transforming me to look more like him. How glorious is that? How much hope is there in that? That is my prayer for you today, that you would be in his presence, that you would know hope restored in his presence. Amen.